Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood live from Chicago on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweet Hood. Also on Instagram, IGJHood. We'll hear from Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com, coming up at 810. Also, we will have uh, Bear Down. We will take a look at some of the stories around the Chicago Bears and the NFL coming up at the bottom of the hour. And uh, we also have Tales from the Hood for you, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between coming up at 845. All part of our 8 o'clock hour here on ESPN 1000. Glad that you're with us as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios. I saw this article from ESPN.com from Sam Miller, who wrote about Mike Trout. Mike Trout tracker, May edition. He's now better than three more Hall of Famers. Reflecting on Mike Trout being taken 25th in the 2009 MLB draft, there he is, Mike Trout, who was in town yesterday when the Cubs took on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. You know, Mike Trout... When you look at all of these numbers, and I saw this article, I thought it was a very good article because if you want to learn more about Mike Trout, they have all these numbers for you, right? Trout started in May with a 66.7 career war, wins above replacement. With another fantastic month, he hit a slash line of 275, 427, 604. Ended May leading the American League in war and raised his career mark to 68 and saying that uh, that Mike Trout has better war numbers than Roberto Alomar, who was a terrific uh, infielder for sure in his years. And he's got better numbers than Ernie Banks. Hey, Ernie Banks with a 67.5 war. Talking about how Banks went 22 months from May of 1957. Hey, hey Ernie! Through almost August of 1960. Nearly four full seasons without an OPS below 800. That's really good. And I scroll down, I see stuff about Fred Clark. Fred Clark, 110 years ago, a war of 67.9. I'm scrolling down and seeing all these numbers about how Mike Trout, who was in town yesterday, has numbers like those three, numbers like Ryan Sandberg, surpassing Edgar Martinez, Carlton Fisk, Yvonne Pudrodriguez, and Eddie Murray. And those numbers are great. But you know what? They don't matter. Ultimately, all that stuff I told you doesn't matter. And I understand that it is core. At its very core, baseball is about numbers. As a kid, getting baseball cards, you saw the face of the card and you flipped it over and you saw all the stats. This is before the internet, before you were able to look these things up on baseball reference. You saw the baseball card. You flipped it over and said, oh, look at all these stats and all these interesting things about this one player. But all those numbers I just gave you don't matter. 
don't mean a hill of beans. You know why that is? Is because in 2019, personality trumps stats. Personality trumps games in the regular season when it comes to baseball. It's just what it is. What's the number one story that we've talked about here on ESPN 1000 regarding baseball? What's the number one story? Not the ancillary stories, the second, third, fourth stories about the Cubs. Can they get Kimbrell? Yes or no. Can they get Kimbrell? Yes or no. What's the number one story? The bat flip from Tim Anderson and Tim Anderson's personality. That's what sells in 2019. More so than, and there was, again, I've been doing this for a long time. There are times where in my career I break, broke down box scores and talked about line scores and talked about pitching and, and looking at one pitcher versus the other. You don't want to hear that anymore. I know you don't. You don't want to hear that from me in 2019. Some of you wish that I would go back and break down those box scores and go line by line, but you don't want that. What you want to know is, is your team won or lost, how your team can get better or recover from being horrible, and who's on the team that I can relate to. That's what you want to know. All those numbers I just gave you are great, even for me as someone that does this for a living. But you don't care about those numbers. You care about personality. Mike Trout's 27 years of age. There's 40,000 plus at Wrigley Field yesterday. And the reason why, some of it is because, of course, the Cubs came back from a road trip. But as Jesse told us yesterday, there's a lot of Trout jerseys that were there at Wrigley Field. And the reason why is because, hey, he's a young guy. He's one of the best players in Major League Baseball. And that's why. That's why that there were Trout jerseys at Wrigley Field. I'll share a story that I've told the uh, UTH staff. I've told uh, Sean and, uh, and Felix this before, but I'll say it here for the first time. So they already know this story, but I'm going to tell you for the first time. So a couple of years ago, when Max Kellerman tried to make that move from Los Angeles doing radio to working with Stephen A. Smith um, and doing first take, Marcellus Wiley was looking for co-hosts, and he was just doing the show, his afternoon show, our sister station ESPN LA. And there was a rotation of co-hosts, people from all over the country. And I was asked to do a couple of shows with Marcellus Wiley, that dude. Great guy, by the way. Great guy. So I'm in the meeting for the first time at ESPN LA. Dan Zampillo is a program director. I know Dan for a long time. He said, who oh, you need to come in? I said, yeah, no problem. So I flew across country, went to Los Angeles, and did some shows with Marcellus. In the first meeting, this is during the trade deadline, I said, they said, well, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I said, I know that the Lakers drive the bus, but it's July 31st. <laughs> I said, well, it's a trade deadline. What, you know, you guys want to talk about the Dodgers and Rich Hill? They said, yeah, you can talk about that for a little bit. I said, okay. I said, well, you know, the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, and I was stopped in my tracks in that conference room. They put the hand up, the stop sign, and they go, there's no need to talk about the Angels. You don't have to talk about them. <laughs> and I said, what? They <laughs> said, well, uh, you know, Angels, you don't have to worry about them. They, they don't matter. I said, well, aren't you the flag? And they said, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> the point of that is, is that, yes, Mike Trout is a name, but not even a name in Orange County. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. 
I had to tell you that story to tell you that Mike Trout, because he's na- because he has a name but yet faceless, he's not even a topic in on ESPN LA. The Lakers are, the Clippers are, NBA talk is. But at our sister station in Los Angeles right now, I'm sure Sedano is still talking about the Lakers and Magic Johnson right now as we speak. At 610 Pacific, he's right now, if you go to the app, I'm sure he's breaking down the Lakers. <laughs> and so for, for me, I'm like, well, Mike Trout is the, one of the best players. It doesn't matter because personality matters. You think about players and, and sports athletes that are under 30 years of age. Jose Altuve is a name. You know him because he's a short guy and has a great personality on a team that's already won the World Series in the Houston Astros. He's 27. You think of of other players like Anthony Davis we just talked about. Anthony Davis is 24 years of age. He's on the move going from the Pelicans to someplace. That's a name that resonates with people. Julio Jones has been around for a long time in the National Football League. You think he's 35, 40. He's 28 with the Atlanta Falcons, a name that we know. Another name that's out there that you'll hear about a lot this summer is Kawhi Leonard. He's right now is in the NBA Finals. He's in the NBA Finals right now with the, um, with the Toronto Raptors, and he's 27 years of age. Another name that resonates with people because of what he does on the field and off the field is ESPN 1000's Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo is 29 years of age. Those are names that are out there now that people know who they are. Sloane Stevens is 25 years of age. She's a tennis player. You know who she is because you've seen Serena, you've seen Venus, and then it's like, oh, here's the next big thing that could be happening in tennis in Sloane Stevens. Matt Stafford for the Detroit Lions, the reason why you know him is because he throws underhand some of his throws as a Lions quarterback. He's 29 years of age. Point is, is that some of these names that we, we know – are 30 and younger, and these guys are, are able to resonate with people because of personality and production. But personality trumps stats and games and regular season baseball every single time. Every single time. As much as the, the Trout name is, is strong for baseball fans, it's just not someone that you can see walking down the street and you say, oh, there's Mike Trout. Glad you're with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with John of the Hood weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000. We turn to Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com. He joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app as you will hear Game 3 of the NBA Finals uh, tomorrow night right here on ESPN 1000 at 7 o'clock. Hello, Nick. Hello, my friend. You agree with me about Mike Trout? I was I, I said that... You know, personality trumps everything else in sports. You want to know about that person. You want to be able to follow that person on social media. More so than stats and games and regular season, you know, personality is is more important than Mike Trout's stats and his war numbers. About a thousand percent, I agree with you. Uh, I went to see Mike Trout in his rookie year, actually, and I was like, this guy is awesome. I can't wait to learn more about him. And he's only gotten better on the field. And the only thing I really know about the guy is he's an Eagles fan. <laughs> that's like, it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wish I knew more. Uh, I, I wish he would uh, be out there more in the public eye. But in his defense, and I, I think this has been stated many, many times, especially from uh, the MLB office and Rob Manfred, you can only do so much if a guy does not want that. If he doesn't want to play the game, uh, the the game outside the game, 
you can't push him too much to do it. So I wish he would, but you just have to appreciate how talented he is on the field and respect the fact that he doesn't want uh, all the accolades that would come his way off of it. My friend, what are your overall thoughts on what you've seen here in the NBA Finals through the first couple of games? I don't believe that Toronto can beat the Warriors four times, Hoodie. As I watch this series, that's the thought that keeps coming back. I don't know if Clay Thompson is going to play in Game 3 tomorrow night. I would think he would, but they want to see how he warms up. Uh, having said that, I still don't think even if Clay doesn't play, I don't think that the Raptors uh, can go into Oracle and win. I just don't believe it. Uh, Kawhi would have to be awesome, and I don't think he's healthy, and I don't believe that the surrounding cast of that team has enough to go into that kind of environment uh, and play the way they need to. We'll see. Maybe they prove me wrong. Uh, but if Clay doesn't play tomorrow night, and I believe he he is going to try to play, but if he doesn't, he'll be back in Game 4. And you know who else I think is coming back in Game 4? Mm. That would be Kevin Durant. And if Kevin Durant comes back in Game 4 and he's able to space the floor for the rest of his teammates, I, I just I don't see a path for Toronto, Hoodie. Uh, but uh, that is me more banking on the superstar factor for Golden State and the idea that Kawhi isn't moving the way he needs to in order to take over and dominate for Toronto. So what is the overall injury report for Andre Godala? Because that's a name, too. You you believe that you, you, you're going to see um, Durant in Game 4 because he's ruled out for Game 3, as you reported. But what about Iguodala? How How's he doing? Because even though he hit the game-winning shot, he's not 100% either. He is not close to 100%. And it's a really good point to bring up because in, in the narrative that is the Warriors' injury report, and it's gotten a lot of steam the last couple uh, days, and once Kevon Looney went out for the rest of the series, and Clay got hurt in Game Two, and of course Kevin, you thought, all right, well, who's left? Andre Godala does not feel great. That calf is hurting him. Uh, he's been getting treatment on it all the time. He went through practice today, uh, but I can just tell you, watching him after Game Two in the locker room, he's limping around. So at the beginning of each game, and as it progresses. That is a guy to focus on because he provides such a lift for them defensively, and they need him offensively to stretch the floor, especially when they're playing without Durant, and now potentially tomorrow playing without Clay. Uh, but Iguodala is not healthy. Uh, he's not moving as well as he could, um, but he's the first one to tell you, this is what happens in the postseason. This is what happens when you played 15 years in the league. This is what happens in these moments that you have to fight through. And Andre Iguodala... Uh, is very confident he'll be able to fight through over the next couple weeks, no matter how far this series goes. Nick Friedel covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So, my friend, you got to take an L because on Sunday, as I wa- as I worked with um, Quentin Richardson and Ryan Hollins, oh my God, those two. So I had to work with them on Sunday. You, did you did you get three words in? I I, I did the re, I, I did the I did the reads in the introduction. 
There you go. Okay. That's not what I figured. <laughs> That's a combination right there. To come oh, wow. off, I came off vacation. And I'm like, what the hell is this? What's going <laughs> on here? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Oh, man. I did get, I did introduce the, the segments, uh, you know, after, you know, going into, <laughs> and I did the reads. I did those. Days. Otherwise, <laughs> it was a fine show. So, um, so, so they continued to tell me, got to play this Nick sound. Got to play this Nick sound. Nick says that DeMarcus Cousins will not be a factor in the series because of his injury. DeMarcus Cousins was a factor in game two, was he not? He was, and I will gladly accept that I was wrong in that one, Odie, because uh, I was not the only one who was wrong in that moment. Uh, most of the Warriors organization was as well. <laughs> because nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, very people thought DeMarcus could have that kind of impact. Uh, it's just reality. And the craziest part about game two is when you watch the beginning of it, he wasn't moving well at all. He got those two quick fouls. He's, he's not uh, rotating the way they want defensively. You're going, oh, no, here we go again. They need Looney in there soon. And then in the second half, to DeMarcus's credit, he bounced back. He made several nice passes. He hit a couple shots, and he found a rhythm. And can he replicate that over the next week or two? Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I, I'm still stunned, frankly, at what we saw in Game 2 from him because conditioning-wise, he's not where he needs to be. And, and it's understandable. It's not a lack of effort. I mean, the fact that he's even on the floor uh, is a win for the Warriors, given that when he went down with that quad injury on April 15th, that was it. A lot of people thought, that's it for the year. This experiment just didn't work. So, uh, absolutely, I was wrong in that. He proved me wrong. Uh, and the question now for the Warriors without Looney, uh, who, who had that collarbone injury, is can Cousins do it again? Can Andrew Bogut come off the bench and provide them with solid minutes? Can Jordan Bell potentially give them a spark somewhere? Uh, we're going to see, and it's going to be huge, but there is no doubt uh, Cousins proved his worth in Game 2, and no matter what happens from here on out, he will always have that performance in the finals to fall back on. The reason why this team is special, and you can make a column out of this, if you could, t- you know, as always, you can take our conversation and make a column out of it. <laughs> um, this, is, this team is built like those championship Bulls teams. And, yep. I, and I'm not going to do the low-hanging fruit of Bulls championship teams versus this Golden State Warriors era. I'm not doing that. But what I will say is that one of the things besides the star power on that of those Bulls teams was the Steve Kerrs, was was the guys coming off the bench to be able to provide a spark. The, I, Phil Jackson did a great job of accentuating the positives and hiding the negatives of his bench guys when the starters were not on the floor. Same thing here. Like I have no doubt in this series, even starting tomorrow, if Cousins gets into foul trouble, Bogut, who who can't even get you know can't even lift over a book of matches, can still be able to provide rebounding, can still be able to get and ones, can give you double digits offensively. That's the third center on the team. If your third center is Andrew Bogut, yeah, I think you're you're living large. And the same thing with Cook, Livingston. When you give them uh, an opportunity to maximize their minutes, they're doing what they do best and know what their role is. So there's a parallel I'll give you, Nick, that I think that the Warriors, besides the stars, besides the injuries, it, when when you got to break glass in case of emergency, those guys come out to play, and they do very, very well. 
Hoodie, again, you are absolutely right in the context here. As Steve Kerr has talked about this throughout the year. One of the things he learned most from Phil Jackson was Phil allowed the reserves to play in big moments throughout the year. He wasn't afraid to, to plop those guys into a big moment and see if they could succeed and allow them to get that muscle memory of being in minutes that really mattered. And so you get to the NBA Finals. We saw Jordan Bell start in game one. He was buried on the bench. He wasn't even in the rotation for most of the year. Andrew Bogut, you mentioned him, but he wasn't on the team a couple months ago. <laughs> he was playing in the Australian Basketball League. Cousins gets hurt. You think he's done. Up, oh, he's back. Uh, Quinn Cook at the end of game two is, is knocking down gigantic three-pointers. Uh, Sean Livingston is the one who made that pass to Andre Godala at the end of the game to knock down uh, the game-clinching shot. It is a perfect illustration of what you are describing. Those guys all believe in themselves enough to fill the roles when called upon. And that is why the Warriors have had the success, the championship-level success that they've had over the last couple seasons. And that's why they believe that no matter who goes down, they're going to find a way. So it is a parallel for sure, and it is a line you can draw directly from Phil Jackson to Steve Kerr. I'll say this, Nick, that Toronto won't be able to get past the Warriors. I think that's, I think that's very clear to everybody, but I will tell you it's a formidable opponent because there's adjustments that have to be made. The, the Raptors are not Milwaukee, clearly. Milwaukee has taken the blueprint of uh, Houston, where it's about threes and layups, not a lot in between, not enough in between, I don't think, for me. And the Raptors, because they have the, the mid-range from Kawhi, because you can drive and kick and give it to Gasol, they have a number of interchangeable parts that's very impressive of this team now. I think the Raptors are going to win a game, another game in this series. I don't know when, but they will. And here's why. The length is different. It's a different dynamic than what the Warriors are used to. Not something that they can't overcome, but... You can see even from game one, the game plan was there. But here's the adjustments that are made, though. Draymond Green took it upon himself and told you in the press that I got to take it upon myself to stop Siakam. After how he led in scoring in game one, he had 12 points, eight rebounds, five assists, which was good, but it wasn't game one. Uh, Gasol, when, when Kawhi was double teamed, Gasol was able to get all the shots that he wanted. He only had six points in game two. The adjustments are made. If the Raptors can replicate what they did in game one, they'll win another game in this series for sure. And shame on them if they can't win something with all these injuries that the Warriors are, are, are dealing with. And on top of that, Hoodie, when you go back and watch game two, no, you realize this. Do you know how many shots, open shots, Toronto missed? Yeah. I mean, my gosh, they had looks all over the floor. They just weren't knocking them down. And as great as Siakam was in Game 1, he was fantastic. He, he really wasn't much of a factor in Game 2. That's the issue. You know what Kawhi Leonard's given you every night. You can bank on those numbers every night. Who else in that lineup is giving you the consistent effort and the numbers every single night? That's been the problem. Uh, and, I, you know, you, you bring up Milwaukee. So I think Milwaukee has blown its chance. Because now you have to sign all these guys, uh, and are, are they going to keep the exact same team together? On and on and on. I think they had their shot. They're up 2-0 against Toronto, and they couldn't do it. And why couldn't they do it? In large part, it was because Toronto defensively is so, so solid. They know their plan. They want to execute it. Uh, 
Uh, and for the most part, uh, they've, they've been able to do that all season. But as far as this series goes, yeah, Toronto is a formidable, formidable, formidable opponent. They believe uh, that they have the ability to, to do it. Uh, and it's just been the Warriors' championship medal that has gotten them through, at least in Game 2. Uh, they found a way to make the baskets they needed in the end. I mean, that those last, I think it was 539, that last bucket was the Iguodala bucket. He drilled it. Uh, they were clinging to that lead. They were playing without clay, and they still found a way. And when this series is over, and again, I believe the Warriors will end up victorious, Toronto will look back at Game 2 and they'll be shaking their heads all summer. Uh, lastly, you saw the story today about uh, Anthony Davis, and this is something that we all knew that Anthony Davis wanted out of New Orleans, but it was solidified now with David Griffin as a general manager. He definitely wants out of New Orleans. What do you think is the best landing spot for AD? If uh, Kyrie stayed, Hoodie, I would have said Boston. That made the most sense. But if Kyrie leaves... Man, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, you'd, you'd like to think the Lakers, but I don't believe in the Lakers' talent. <laughs> I just don't believe they have enough. Neither, neither does LeBron. Trading all the young guys. Yeah, yeah I, I think LeBron, as great as LeBron still is, even in a diminished version for him, Hoodie, I don't believe that LeBron and Anthony Davis is enough. I mean, they're enough to go to the playoffs, but LeBron's never been about going to the playoffs. LeBron's about winning titles. So what do you think? What do you think is that best spot for him? Well, I know that that LeBron would love to be able to play with AD. AD doesn't come across as an alpha dog. He's more of a beta personality where LeBron could be able to get the shine and AD could still be able to do what he can do. I think that the, the Lakers would be a, a great spot. But I think if I'm, if I'm a free agent or want to go someplace else, I would stay away from Los Angeles because, quite frankly, the L.A., New York Knicks, Chicago Bulls situation is kind of similar organizationally, <laughs> right? I mean, yep. it, it yep. is. So, so you know, the hot teams are teams like the Clippers or Boston. Uh, it, it all depends on what AD wants to do. Are you looking for Hollywood? Are you looking for off-the-court off the dollars by, and being, you know, getting the rub from LeBron? Or are you trying to be in a position to be one of the teams that's trying to win a, a, a championship? And I think that the Clippers are close to that because Golden State's not going to last forever. You want to be in a position no. when, when Golden State does go down that you want to be one of those, an NBA champion. So to me, you know, if, if the Clippers could swing it, if the, if the Celtics could swing it, that's, what you, that's where you want to go with a team that's pretty set for you. And, and by the way, if, if, if Kyrie Irving leaves Boston, that could be AD's team. But there, therein lies the rub. Is that enough? I mean, this is this is the issue that the NBA has now because everything is compared to where the Warriors are at. Let's play through this quickly. If Kyrie leaves the Celtics and Anthony Davis got there, is that team with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, assuming they were still on the team if uh, if Danny Ainge didn't move them, is that enough? To compete with the Sixers, yes. If you do, you don't believe in Milwaukee, really, and you think that no. that you think they're limited, okay. Well, someone's got to be uh, sustainable in the East. Someone has to. Well, and then if Ky- if if Kawhi leaves, see, this is where this gets fun. This is, yeah, buddy, you open the segment <laughs> talking about baseball and stars and what they do off the floor. 
What really is driving traffic in my mind is the fact that everybody in their mind is a general manager now. And we can play fantasy league stuff all year long. My team could get this guy and our fortunes could change. If Kawhi leaves Toronto, Toronto's not good enough. If Kyrie leaves and goes to the West Coast and they add Anthony Davis still, maybe Boston is... uh, does have enough. I don't believe in Milwaukee. And Philadelphia, I still don't think they have enough surrounding the stars that they do have. Especially, 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 when, out Jimmy. Yeah, especially when Jimmy leaves. Yeah, well, exactly. Then he could leave. So the summer is so intriguing on so many levels. But you're right. I mean, there, there are so many shifts that could take place. But if I'm in the East right now and I'm in that upper echelon, I take my shot. Because there is no team, especially if Kawhi goes elsewhere in a few weeks, there is no team that has a lock on anything right now. So you swing for the fences. And to your point about Boston, that has never been an issue for Danny Ainge. If he sees the deal to go and get Anthony Davis, he's going to make it happen. The Bulls have the seven pick. Don't make me cry. Okay. I tried to show You're listening to my mans in them. Jay Hood. Yep. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I tried to show And the ESPN app. Yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger Flame here in sickle mode. You're listening to Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hit me up on Twitter, Twitter.com, TweetJHood, on Instagram, IGJHood. An hour from now, we do Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday here on ESPN 1000. Good old JR Jim Ross will be on the program. He is the voice of All Elite Wrestling, brand new wrestling company uh, that is owned by Tony Khan, the one of the owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so Jim will talk about what it was a tremendous event in Las Vegas, the double or nothing pay-per-view. So for those of you that did not hear this on the under the hood podcast in which you can download your podcast anywhere and look for under the hood with Jonathan hood. If you didn't hear it there on Tuesday, wrestling Tuesday, we'll play it for you coming up at nine thirty-five right here on ESPN 1000. Ah, I don't know about you. I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood for some bears talk. Let's bear down. Journeys always reveal one thing the strength you never knew you had before you left. There's a snap, it's a good one. Thomas puts it in the air. It's gone! It's gone! The Bears are in the playoff! The Bears are in the playoff! Physical. We're going to get physical. We're going to get underrated. Trubisky, play action. To the end zone. Touchdown, Bears! Rotaps on three. One, two, three. Hester under it. Backs up to his 16. Runs right now. 45 40. The punter to beat. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Touchdown! Windy City Flyer! It is time to bear down as we talk to you about the Bears in the National Football League with me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. A couple of things for you. How about the Bears in this piece from Bleach Report written by Brent Soboleski? Brent was talking about the Bears suffering through a 14-34 record under John Fox's direction. Oh, I remember that well. But the team is poised to experience a breakout under new head coach Matt Nagy. And he says that the Rams template for success a year ago could be something that the Bears could mirror here for the 2019 season. 
says the Rams organization first had to dump an experienced and well-respected head coach in favor of an ex- a kind of an inexperienced head coach in Sean McVay. That's exactly what the Bears did by getting rid of John Fox and having right now someone uh, that they really believe in here. But the, the Bears, as it says here, may not have perfectly replicated the blueprint that led the Rams to a breakout 11-5 and campaign. Like Fisher, Fox's time had passed. Matt Nagy, the head coach for the Bears, was the offensive coordinator for Andy Reid's team. And he talks about, in this article, how the Bears were able to make a lot of changes on the fly here just to be able to have Matt Nagy comfortable, number one, but number two, lead the team to the playoffs. A detail-oriented approach isn't just beneficial for a rookie. The veteran starters, white hair, Kyle Long, Bobby Massey, and Charles Leno Jr. on that offensive line should improve courtesy of better coaching. A strong offensive front will make life easier for Mitch Trubisky, who will enter his second season as a full-time starter since leaving Mentor, Ohio. And he talks about the juxtaposition between Mitch Trubisky and Jared Goff. Goff blossomed in year two, and the same expectations should extend to the 2017 second overall pick. Here are the numbers. Trubisky completed 59% of his passes with seven touchdowns and seven interceptions as a rookie. And Matt Nagy says that every detail that we're going to give him means something. It's not just something he writes down in the book. He wants to know why, which is good to have a curious quarterback. Also in the Sobolewski piece, he says in order to succeed, the Bears had to improve on all their skill positions, which ranked among the NFL's worst last season, particularly at wide receiver. Goff would never have succeeded with the contributions of Todd Gurley, Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Gerald Everett. If those guys are not part of that team, the Rams are not in a position to get to the Super Bowl. So Gurley, like the Rams, uh, have a feature, had a feature back in Jordan Howard that was already in place. The rest uh, was acquired through free agency. Uh, Dontel, Dontrell Emmerum was on the team. Kendall Wright was on the team. Cameron Meadows was on the team. But you see those guys, Cam Meredith and Wright and, and Emmerum, all those guys, they've been replaced by Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller. Those are players to look out for for sure. It's a good article, again, from the Bleacher Report from Brent Sobolewski, how the Bears might have the NFL's next great offense. Connor Rogers from the Bleacher Report was talking about the Bears and their draft class. Listen. I mean, they got my top running back in Dave Montgomery, and I think Riley Ridley will be a really, really nice number three wide receiver. I know they like Anthony Miller there, but I think it's always good to have competition and depth, especially at a spot like wide receiver where guys go down in camp every single year. Ridley is somebody that is one of the most pro-ready wide receivers in this draft. Montgomery, to me, was just com- was very comparable to Josh Jacobs. I didn't see the gap between them that everyone else did. So when you only have that many picks and you get maybe two guys that can play some starter reps this year, I loved it. Here's another comment by Connor Rogers from Bleach Report. He says The question was, how does the Bears' offense improve in year number two? Well, I think they need to really spread the ball around. And I think that's something that Nagy, Nagy has really done well in his offense. Even when he was in Kansas City, I thought that team was spreading the ball around. I think when you look at the balance on this roster, you have guys that have been there before long enough where Allen Robinson should really be the go-to guy, but he doesn't have to be this number one that's a target hog all the time. I think you love the different things Tariq Cohen can do. But now you got to get the new guys involved. And I think that's really, really exciting. When you talk about that, and I talk about the two players they really just took, David Montgomery, like I said, he can catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's probably the best 
running back in this class at picking up yards after contact, which is a really special trait in his game. Riley Ridley is somebody that's so special on the timing and, and the breaks of his routes, and I think that's the most important skill when you look at Nagy's offense. So when it comes down to it for me, they're just going to look to steam people open, and it's all going to be timing-based. And I think the beauty of it is when that timing breaks down, I think Trubisky's somebody that can tuck the ball and run or at least scramble and keep his head up to throw the football down the field. So if they can really be an offense that can beat you in not just two different ways, but maybe five different ways, whether that's a couple different targets, two backs in the backfield that can catch the ball, can run inside and outside, and a quarterback that is very, very mobile, I think that's the best news for Chicago's Chicago Bears fans going into this season. So some great thoughts there from Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report and host of the Stick to Football podcast, wherever you download your podcast. Great conversation there with Connor Rogers keeping his eyes on the Bears. As I mentioned last night, I was going to give you something Packers here on Bears Down. Uh, let's see. Well, let's get into the Packers mood. That's actually too cool for Milwaukee. <laughs> but but we'll, we, I like it, though. Uh, two things about the, the Packers. And, of course, if you're a Bears fan, you're always concerned, right? You're like, oh. Aaron Rodgers still has a heartbeat. He still is upright. Could he hurt the Bears somewhere down the line? You never, never know with the Packers. But I, I think that it will be an interesting look at the Packers with a new head coach in place in Matt LaFleur. Yes, as Rob Domoski wrote on ESPN.com, his basketball days might be over because he uh, underwent surgery to repair a torn Achilles tendon that he ruptured playing basketball. He's 39 years of age. The, the conversation between Rodgers and new head coach Matt LaFleur, how does that work? And their personnel is always about trying to figure out how they can be better offensively. As long as Aaron Rodgers is around, though, it's always going to be an issue for the Bears. Even though I think the Bears have a terrific team, but at the same time, oh, jeez. <laughs> you just never know when Aaron Rodgers is moving around and being the quarterback for this Bears team. And that is Bear Down right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Every night we give you something Bears, something NFLs. We count down to the days of Bourbon A and Bears camp. Tales from the Hood, that is coming up next. As I combine all the juice from the mind, heal up, wheel up, bring it back, come rewind. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. What do you got here? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood brought to you by Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts known to man. Go to birddogs.com, use promo code ESPN, and get a free pair of nunchucks with your shorts. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, and everything else in between. Uh, this one, oh, God. A 22-year-old woman admitted to stealing a puppy from the puppy barn in Vineyard because, turn the page, she wanted to replace her family dog that died. This is in Utah. On May 1st, the woman later identified as Savannah Morgan Griffin entered the business. She allegedly stole a golden poodle, uh, a golden doodle puppy that cost $1,200. On May 8th, the local attorney called the detective who was investigating the death. The puppy has since been returned to the puppy barn. 
her puppy dies, she steals a golden doodle. What is her problem? I mean, there's other ways to cope, right? How about instead of stealing one, why don't you buy one? Buy, like, <laughs> yes, it's unfortunate that your, your dog died, but why don't you just buy another one like everybody else? I'm going to steal one. I was in grief. Oh, my God. I need counseling. I'm so sorry. Nah, man. Nah. Let me do that. <laughs> See what happens. She'll get off because she was in counseling. I felt so sad because my dog died. Please stop stealing. How about that? Snake slithers out of a toilet and bites a Florida man on the arm. Coral Springs, Florida. Authorities say a ball python slithered out of a toilet. Coral Springs police person Chris Swinson said that the man was treated at the scene after a four-foot snake bit him when he lifted a toilet seat on Sunday morning. The snake was non-venomous. How do you know? Until you, <laughs> How do you know? Over the years, other creatures have found their ways into toilets in South Florida, and so the fire department had to come in and rescue. How do you know? That's, I mean, I've been in radio for 25 years. All the snakes I know are venomous. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000.